We're in the book of Judges. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Bruna would love to bring you one. Uh, And then we're going to uh, start in chapter 13. I'm sorry, chapter 14. We'll start in the last two verses prior. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up. Have them ready in Judges 14 and a couple verses prior as well, please. Of all the stories of the judges that we're most familiar with, more than likely, to some degree, this none is more iconic than this guy, Samson. And today we get to see, we may actually, God willing, see his entire life. Uh, and that's um, going to be quite an endeavor to cover 14 through 16 in this. But I, I really do believe that there's a very key point that God wants to bring out for each of us in our challenge today. So I'm going to pray for us specifically for that, that what it is that God really wants to speak, that we would, uh, we would really, really hear his voice. So would you please pray with me? Lord, on this beautiful but chilly Wednesday, uh, I, I remember seeing frost on our uh, back garden we woke up this morning and it was there for most of the, uh, the morning as well. Just what a, what a beautiful morning to remind us, Lord, that we are actually in winter, uh, even though it's not snowing and it's not that cold, which we're thankful for. But Lord, here in this room, Lord, we could be cold, we could be distracted, we could be a lot of things, but you have a very important message to speak to us tonight on how to win this spiritual battle and what this spiritual battle may look like to us. And I pray that we will be able to to (coughs) hear everything you want to say tonight. So please, Lord, please, please, please minister now profoundly in this time. Let us really hear you, please. And open up our hearts to you, to know you better, to love you more. Please, Lord. I want to commit tonight to you. I pray you would redeem every second. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit that I would disappear. And then, Lord, come upon me in such a way that every one of us would be ministered to. So, Lord, have your way now, we pray. We commit every second of this to you. Make this perfect in length and in depth as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your final say. In life, there are two great motivators that can motivate us as human beings that play very deeply into the spiritual battle. Scripture tells us in 1 John, whoever is born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. That is important to recognize that we are no physical threat to the enemy. Contrary to what Hollywood may teach us or even what some of our more fantastical part of our family may uh, try to present, scripturally it tells us that the wicked one doesn't touch us. However, he seeks like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And I do recognize that there are two areas where a man or a woman of God can be taken down in his lies. If you will, one is before us and one is behind us. Excuse me. The one in front of us is appetite. The idea that we're driven by some internal desire that somehow overrides God's will for our lives. And it can happen in the sense of the things that God has given us, natural appetites, a desire for a mate, a desire for importance, a desire for purpose. These are things God gave us. They put them within our very being. 
But for every appetite God has given us, God has a very specific menu. And if and by the way, and a menu and specific hours when the kitchen is open. And when we try to do something out of time and off the menu, we're sinning. Handing our desires to God does something actually beautiful because what happens is we find ourselves delighting in him. And when we find ourselves delighting in him, what we find as a result of that is we find that he gives us the desires of our heart. Now, that doesn't make God the means to the end. What that means is as we delight in him, he puts desires in our heart and then brings them to pass. And then we find that the very things we actually want are the very things God wants. And when the things we want are the things God wants, he brings them to pass, which is a very beautiful life to live. But for those of us who weren't willing to consecrate that, <coughs> what we'd find is, is that you'll find people that run from one thing to another, not handing over their appetites to God, that could have a tremendous calling in their life, have tremendous power from God, but are still driven by their own desires. Well, that's the story of Samson. <clears throat> on this other time, during the same spiritual battle, there's another tool that is often used by the enemy, and that tool is fear. Fear that comes from our past, fear of failure. Fear can almost always be taken back to yourself, a very strong view, a look at yourself. And it tells us that there's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. That's also First John, by the way. On one side, if we're driven by love, we will not be driven by fear. If we're driven by perfect love, we'll have none. I've learned if you learn to fear God, you'll fear nothing else. If you do not fear God, you'll fear everything else. And that'll be the story here of the Israelites. The Israelites have been so taken over by the Philistines. <coughs> excuse me. They've been so taken over by the Philistines that they find themselves kind of now just dominated by a group of people where they're afraid to make anything happen. They're afraid of the deliverance the same way that the, the Israelites in Egypt were afraid of deliverance. Because they knew that the taskmasters were wicked and strong and nasty and cruel. And when you surrender to those things, getting out of it, it's kind of like finding yourself in a gang. You're probably aware most gangs, what they usually do is they beat you within inches of your life as the entrance into the gang with the idea that we stopped at this because now you're part of us. You try to leave us and we'll finish the job. So you live in fear of leaving for your entire time in it. <clears throat> and whether that's organized crime or whether that's a street gang, often that's the way that works. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, in this story here, what we're going to have is in this day of Samson, when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes and there is no king before Israel, the nation Israel is really in a bad place. They are completely dominated by the bully, the Philistines. They are sucker to the spiritual battle and they, are, they have lost. Meanwhile, Samson, on the other hand, is also lost. It's just harder to see until the end because he is driven by his appetites. He's driven by what's in front of him and he can't listen for God's voice. They're driven by what's behind them or around them and it freaks them out so much they don't know what to do. The last two verses of the book of Judges, of chapter 13. Oh, bless you. Oh, bless you so much.
two verses of the previous chapter, we read Samson is born. We, name that we, we read that they name him like the sun and that the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move on him. And now we have this unique word in regards to the Holy Spirit's experience with man. Up to this point, he's come upon for empowering. Here the word means to thrust, to advance, to push or to beat. It's a military term. The idea of a group of people rushing over to take more ground. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in Samson's life. It is, if you will, almost like as a martial attempt to take over the person that, that the Holy Spirit seeks to use because there's a great battle inside Samson over his appetites versus God's will. And it tells the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him and it tells us where. This story begins and ends at this place. A place that is at Mahanad Den, which just means the camp or the traveling area of Dan, between two places. Zora, which means diseased, weak, feeble, falling apart to ruin. And Eshtaol, which means desires or entreaties or askings. Somewhere between diseased and falling apart and sick and ill and about to be ruined. And desires, entreaties, asking, constantly seeking over the next thing is where Samson's living right now. And we read this. Now, with those two verses, we get now into Samson as an adult. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know this was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. They dominated Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came into the vineyards of Timnah, and to his surprise we see what's about to happen. So let's start with this. In our first four verses, Samson is not where he should be. Samson, and by the way, understand when God is seeking opportunity to start something, that doesn't mean he ever makes anyone sin. Jesus did not make Judas Iscariot sin. There were enough people around him to betray him. He just had to pick one for which he picked Judas Iscariot. Now, in this case, there were enough people that were about to start that were more than happy to start trouble. But he picked this guy. This guy, by the way, with the Nazarite vow, I remind you not to be around anything that involves grapes. He is not to be around dead things, and he has not to cut his hair. Three very important parts, not just one. Samson's secret was not his hair. That's what he'll say, because what we have is a person that has all of the separation from, but none of the separation to. He has the rules of don't do those things, but he doesn't even get the idea of why, other than he'll tell him, I'm a Nazarite. My parents basically made me do this. I'm a Nazarite to God since I was born. But we don't see any relationship with him. So what we have is when you don't have the relationship with God, those things just seem like a bunch of rules that nobody wants to follow. There's the problem. And what happens when you give someone a bunch of rules, but they don't even have any purpose for obeying those rules other than they have to obey them? Sooner or later, the places they shouldn't be become the places they want. 
And Samson, we find in his first verse, introduced as a man, the first thing we read about him is he's not where he's supposed to be. He is at, and listen, listen, he is at the enemy territory. He is in the enemy territory. The people who have bullied and dominated Israel, and he goes down there looking for a date. Can I just say this now? This may sound easy for me to say, perhaps, because I've been married longer than, more than half of my life. Do not go into the enemy camp to go look for love. What we're going to find is Samson has three girls in his particular story. None of them are good. One of them, by the way, we're going to find here is going to, is going to betray him. The second one's a harlot. And the third one is not only going to betray him, but mock him in the process. This is not the place to go looking for love. Now, I remind you, if God is love, and I mean real honest love, not that selfish stuff, not that self-centered, just warm, fuzzy something you buy a card for, but I mean real selfless, committed surrender and service for another person, giving your life to give someone else life. If, if that is what the love you're looking for, you're not going to find it outside of Jesus. Because God is love. And you might say, well, I met some person, and the person that I met really didn't seem like they were very loving. I'd say, well, maybe that was the case. But that doesn't mean you're going to find it somewhere else. That just means that limits it down to one more jerk you don't have to get near. Here, Samson is not where he's supposed to be. And he's in a place called Timna. Timna, by the way, means my portion, what I have coming to me. And you kind of get the idea that's really where Samson's going to start this. He's going to go find his. But he's not going to find his in the land of the living. And his appetite drives him to the places where he doesn't want to be. Or I'm sorry, places where he's not supposed to be. And then it says what happens is he sees a girl. And as he sees this girl, notice it says in verse 1, he saw her. That by verse 2, he's telling his parents what to do. And he tells them to get her. Doesn't ask. Doesn't entreat. And that tells me a little bit of the relationship somewhere between Samson and his parents. Is Somewhere Samson is actually... Well, he seems to be over his parents instead of under like he should be. His parents plead with him. They don't say, by the way, what I don't find in this is that they don't say no. We don't read up to this point, by the way, that Samson's ever done anything strong. It isn't like Samson's just grown enormously large and they can't seem to find shirts that fit him. And so they're afraid of him. All we read at this point is, is that, more, that he's telling them what to do when they're saying okay. But what they say, he says, get, get this girl for me. And they're like, isn't there anybody? Uh, I mean, that not there anyone on the menu? Isn't there anyone among God's people you would choose? And what he says is, no, get her for me because she pleases me. The word for please in the base word of it is ayin, from the, the word here is yishar, and it comes from the base word ayin, and it means to see with pleasure. Now understand, what he's saying in the simplest sense is, she's hot. That's all he's saying. Now listen. Don't play this game with yourself because, God willing, you have brothers or sisters here that will call you out on it. I know I'm talking mostly to single folk out there, so this is just going to be fun. But don't tell me about how somebody and then try to play like, well, he says he's a Christian or she says she's a Christian. Well, she's gone to church before. She, she has a Bible. But you, you realize, but you met her in a club. But you met him and you know it was nowhere godly. And if you meet someone someplace other than someplace godly, more than likely what attracted you was certainly not their godliness. 
So you meet someone and they're smooth and they're smooth enough to say the words you really want to hear. And they know that that is passageway. Those are the magic you know, passwords to get into your heart and then maybe into something else. Now, forgive me for talking so, so frankly, but it's necessary because if no one else has told you, let me be the first then to say that doesn't cut it. It is better to be single and alone in that sense with Jesus than to be with someone you are constantly trying to pull up. Ladies, you need a spiritual leader, not just someone who calls himself a Christian. Somebody who knows how to follow Jesus, knows what God's called them to, and once would love to pull you beside that. That's what you want, whether you know it or not. Guys, you need a gal who so loves Jesus that you'll never have to compete with God over her. The only way someone's going to love you the way they should is for them to be completely and absolutely more in love with God than they are with you. And that better not bother you. Because if not, you will fall for the other things. There is nothing more beautiful than a person in total surrender to God. Nothing's more beautiful. Watch them worship and you know that their heart's God's and they're, they're, they're just crying Jesus and their heart is resounding with that. There's nothing more beautiful than that. And Samson here is going fishing. And he's going fishing in a pool with only poisonous fish. Now, look at Don't just agree with me in your heads. Your heart's going to make a convert of your decision. Where are you really looking for love? If you can't find it in Christ first, you're never going to find it anywhere. So you know basically what he wants to get here? A trophy wife. The kind of gal that he's going to look good walking down somewhere on the high street with. But she has nothing to offer but her looks. And we're going to see, at least in her case, it's a little bit different than the last one. It's going to really degrade. So he's trying to say, please, isn't there anyone? And he goes, hey, 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 get her. She's hot. In verse 5, we read that not only did Samson go fishing in the wrong place, Samson now is really close to strike one. I remind you, nothing with grapes. No dead bodies. And don't cut your hair. Those are the three requirements, if you remember, for a, for a Nazarite. Notice what it says in verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. Apparently, he's far enough away from them that they don't see this. And he came to the vineyards of Timnah. What is Samson doing in the vineyards? Now, to his surprise, we're going to see something's going to happen as a result of it. Listen, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the first proverbs my kids heard is a heart that is willing to be near to sin is a heart that is willing to sin. When you tell your children, those are fresh cookies. Because, you know, when they're younger, they do this. What's that? Like they don't know what a cookie is. Oh, they know what a cookie is. That's why they're pointing. And they say, what's that? And I'll say, more importantly, let me tell you what it's not. What? It's not yours. Not until after dinner. You can't have that cookie. You can't have any of those cookies yet. But they smell so good. Well, might I suggest you move farther away so you don't smell them. But no, they look so good. 
Yes, you might want to get without. You might want to get beyond eye shot of them then too. No, I think I'm just going to stand here. Stand here? You don't want to stand there, honey. Yeah, I just want to stand here and smell them. Uh, I don't think so. And then, of course, you look up and there's chocolate chips dripping from their nose. And they look like they have no clue how in the world that happened. They're like, and, you know, I love this. That both of my children have done this. They look like they're a victim. Like they got attacked by the cookie. You know, I was minding my own business, just sitting there, just smelling, and I breathed too hard or something, and then in my face came this cookie. And I mean, the only thing I could do at that point was to eat it to save my life, right? I mean, and you know that, and I meant children, listen to your father. A heart that is willing to be near to sin is a heart that's willing to sin. And Samson's walking through the vineyards. And if he has not to do anything that involves grapes, he is definitely in the wrong place. And lo and behold, what happens when you're in the wrong place? What happens when you know, and you know it, something inside of you, the first time you step in there, there's this, I don't know if I should be here. But somebody next to you might call themselves a Christian, and I'm not saying they are, they are, and they're like, oh, come on, whatever, just mellow out. Look at, don't pick friends like that, please. Or tell them squarely, look at, if the, what the Romans says, and hear me, please, is if you are not sure it's sin, it's sin to you. It says whoever doesn't know whether it is or not, it's sin to them. If you have that, I'm not really sure, just don't do it. If you really love someone, you don't want to risk hurting them. And when you get that feeling, I'm not really, I don't think I should be here. This just doesn't seem like the right place for me. Now, I'm not talking about you're dealing with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're dealing with the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not, when God says inside of you, I'm not comfortable here with you being in the state you're in. What do you do? Let me tell you what it says here. Samson is walking through this vineyard, and there he is by all those grapes. And it says, and to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Guess what happened? The lion came at him. Now, my first thought, of course, is 1 Peter 5.8, where it says, again, be sober. By the way, for those who want to talk about being drunk in the spirit, let me just kind of nail this at least, that at least 13 times in one way or another, the Holy Spirit says, be sober. I think it's weird that he wrote a book saying, be sober, but then gets everybody drunk. I don't know. That's just my weirdness. But I think that what the Holy Spirit really wants is for you to be, I don't know, sober, clear-headed, be sober, alert, clear-headed, and not just that, vigilant. That means watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And I think what's amazing in this situation is, is that some people are in places they know they shouldn't be and relationships they know they shouldn't be in, doing stuff they know they shouldn't be, and then they wonder why they feel so attacked by Satan. Like, I feel like all I hear is Satan talking to me all the time. Can I say, well, maybe if you weren't where you wouldn't be, shouldn't be, you wouldn't be spending time near the lion. Here's the good news is that that's not the end of Samson's life. Although, to be honest, that could have been a better story, perhaps in some cases. But in verse 6 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. This is the second time we see this encounter. The word again is the word tzachsalak, the word again to rush in advance, like a military. Came upon him like like an army. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat. Now, any of you tear apart a young goat? I'm assuming it must be easy. I don't know. I've never torn apart a young goat, but he's like, yeah, it's just as easy as tearing apart a young goat. Well, there you go. 
as though he had nothing in his hand. But he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done. When the spirit of the lion, I'm sorry, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, the lion gets torn apart in front of you. And I would rather walk in the spirit than walk in the flesh. What's amazing, hear me, is that he's walking in a place where he would be walking completely in the flesh and the Holy Spirit has to come upon him hard for him to be able to deal with this battle. But at that point, that would have been a good time to say, well, it would be a really good time to leave this place and not come back. But that's not exactly the case. Verse 7. So he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Again, she was still cute to him. And after some time, when he returned to Gedder, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hand as he went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave in some to them. And they also ate, but he didn't tell them that he had taken that honey out of the carcass of the lion. Does anyone see a problem with this particular incident? What's the problem here? Excellent. He's not to be around death. I, you can't get more around death than scooping out of a cadaver honey. I would say that's about as full of death. Now, I might dare say he's at least at strike one, if not strike two. Now, we don't know where he's been with the grape thing other than he's been walking through the vineyard, but he certainly has been playing around death. And let's be honest, isn't that a perfect icon of his moment? He is fooling around with death, trying to find sweetness in it. Are you doing that too? You know, I mean, there are certain bands, you know, bless them, they're gifted musically, but the lyrics depress the heck out of you. And they, they get you thinking, they get you angry at people you shouldn't be angry at. They make you nasty. And then you, but, but, you, but it's got a good beat and it's easy to dance to. But it turns you into a nasty person. Are you scooping honey out of the carcass? Here's the good news. You can find honey other places than a carcass. And you can find honey that will be just good for you. Not that it will be tainted with death. His poor parents, by this point, notice, they're eating of it too. They don't even know. And this happens, by the way, when you're doing that. I've watched people, by the way, that were brand new Christians, people that were that had called themselves mature Christians, but they had been diving into some pretty wonky music and some pretty wonky things. And what happened is they'd start just spouting off lyrics, and these people thought they were scriptures because they were new Christians. And they were like, well, you know, like it says in the Bible. And then he starts, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Actually, that is not the Bible. That's Ronnie James Dio. That is not the same thing. So be careful. By the way, where are you trying to look for honey? He had found his, his honey in a wrong place, and now he found his honey in another bed, dead place. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for the young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Did you notice that in verse 11? Samson lives such a life now of, of, of being a maverick that they have to hire friends for him for the wedding party. How many guys? How many guys do they have to hire? This should be an easy question here. How many? Okay, say it with confidence. How many? 30. Right? Because it says here 30, that they hired 30 companions to be with him. Do you see that? <clears throat> so Samson poses a riddle. Let me pose a riddle for you. If you can correctly solve and explain to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. 
But if you cannot explain it to me, then you will give me 30 garments and 30, 30 changes of clothing. And they said, well, then pose the riddle that we may hear it. Why do you think he picked 30 changes of clothing? Anyone want to guess? Because he's got 30 guys that he's now responsible for. Now, you may be aware of this, but the person who throws the wedding, usually, if you will, the father of the son who's getting married, is responsible to clothe all of the people of the wedding party. So can you see Samson going, oh, you're going to give me 30 guys? Well, I'm going to pose you a riddle you can't solve so you can give me the 30 pieces of clothing so I can clothe the guys and it isn't out of my pocket. It's kind of what's happening here. And if you understand that, then you kind of get a little bit more of the Matthew 22:11, where it talks about the king giving a feast and all these people say no and they don't want to come. And finally he goes into the highways and byways and under bridges and brings in all the people. And then he says, and he finds a guy at the door that actually doesn't even have a wedding costume on, doesn't have wedding clothes on. And he's like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he casts them out. And the natural thought for us in our culture is, wow, that was really mean. That poor guy couldn't afford a, a tux. But if a king is throwing a party, he's going to clothe everyone in the, in the party. The only people who aren't going to wear wedding clothes are against the, against the marriage. And that guy you don't want, actually, at the wedding. So please hear me in this. He's posing the riddle so he doesn't have to shell out for these 30 guys that they gave him. So here's his, his riddle, verse 14. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, it couldn't explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day. That's the last day before this riddle, before they have to shell out the, the clothes. They said to Samson's wife. Now, by the way, if they had, if they were Samson's wife, then they had had to exchange a cup. And if they had to exchange a cup, then he'd had to drink of the vine. Well, for what it's worth. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we'll burn you and your father's house with fire. What's really sad is it's going to happen anyways with this girl. Have you invited us in in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? No, notice what these guys, this is the value system of the Philistines. They would rather kill her and her dad and her family than shell out for 30 pieces of clothing. You're probably aware of that, right? But listen to the other side of this. The girl's in a dilemma. I remind you, the Philistines are bullies. And because the Philistines are bullies, they've bullied all of Israel. Now they're just bullying each other. I mean, that kind of happens. So, so here's the case. I'm going to pick on Angel for a second because she's the married gal in front of me. It's like, okay, so here's the deal. All of a sudden, you know, your husband poses a riddle and a couple guys that are kind of homeless guys or whatever pop up from Camden and they're like, listen, if you don't tell us the answer to the riddle, which you don't know yet, but if you don't go and get the answer, we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your family. Now, Angel's stuck with a couple ideas here. One of them is protect herself. And if she protects herself, well, then she's going to have to go get the answer. But I don't know. To me, there's another option, which is, why don't you tell your big, strong husband about th- that these guys have challenged you? Because what the guy, I mean, sooner or later, what's going to happen are some Philistines are going to die either way. But it would be the guys that want to kill you. And that sounds like a better deal to me. But somewhere in all of this, the Philistine girl doesn't have that as an option in her head. That tells you the society she's in. The society she's in is so about her, so protecting her, she doesn't even actually think, it appears here, to go and actually just say, hey, Sammy, hey, man, I've got some people threatening me from the wedding party because you haven't said the riddle. Could you actually deal with these guys? And if he was a decent husband, imagine, imagine you're Samson's wife. 
And someone's like, people are messing with Samson's wife. I would imagine with a guy who appears to have a temper, that's not going to end well for the guy who's messing with the wife. But actually, it's not going to end well with the wife. So instead, it says in verse 16, Samson's wife wept on him and she says, you only hate me. You don't love me. We don't read that, by the way, anywhere that he said he loved her anyways. You've posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I'm not explaining it to my father or mother. Why should I explain it to you? Boy, isn't he a smooth talker, ladies? What's clear is he's like Lobo. He hunts alone. Now she wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on that seventh day that they told her because he told her because she pressed him so much. She nagged and nagged and nagged. And he finally was like, I can't handle this. So she told the riddle to the sons of the people. And so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And ladies, are you ready to be really blessed? Listen to Samson's response. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Yeah. How was that one? That's pretty sweet, huh? Oh, he's going to, don't worry, he's going to make up for it in a moment, Mr. Smooth Talker. Now, obviously, that's a cute little paraphrase that says, well, obviously, you heard this from my girl. So what does he do? The second time we read in this is in his adult, his adulthood. And by the way, you think he would have learned from this lesson? He told her. She clearly told them. Note to self, don't tell her. She'll tell them. Don't tell a Philistine girl. Notice she never said anywhere to him, please save my life and my family's life. It's just, tell me the secret. I thought you loved me. And by the way, that's going to be the ploy here. Listen, in the enemy camp. It is one of the catchphrases of the enemy camp. I thought you loved me. If you really loved me, you'd do this. And have you ever heard that kind of expression before? If you really loved me, this is what we do together. This is what you do to me. This is what you do for me. Let me say, if you really love someone, you won't be asking someone to say something, to do something like that. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily, same words. And he went down to Ashkelon and he killed 30 of their men, took their clothes, gave the changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle. Well, he paid the bill. And then what you have at the end of that is 30 men dead. His anger was aroused and he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Well, that's what happens at that point. The father's like, well, she's going to be married to someone tonight. Now, ladies, listen to him make up. After a while, the time of the wheat harvest had happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Not flowers, not candy, a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. His father would not permit him to go. Her father would not permit him to go. His, her father said, I really thought you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I just gave her to your companion. I remind you, that was one of the hired guys. Is not her younger sister better than she? Just take her instead. Notice the value of the culture. Well, I already gave her away. You can have the next one. Samson said to him, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. He took torches turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each of the pair of tails. And then he set the torches on fire. 
They let the foxes run through the standing grain of the Philistines, burn up both the line and the stalks, both the stalks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Now, I have a question as I read this. While Samson's playing his little game of Firefox, where is his parents? How long do you think it takes to catch 30 foxes like this? You know, and I start thinking, well, 30 foxes would be one thing. How long do you think it takes to catch 300 foxes? How many foxes are there out there? And you ever hear a fox? I mean, they sound like demonic babies. 300 of them tied tail to tail with a stick between them. Somewhere down the line, don't you think mom's looking through her kitchen window going, hey, little Sammy, Sammy, what you doing? What's your hobby? What are you doing back there? And foxes were never considered a great thing. And this is a great country to say that because we know what foxes do. They eat other things. Things normally that are your pets. I understand why Jesus says in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When someone says they would follow him, Jesus will say, you need to know this place is a place for thieves. This isn't a home for me. Back in our story, Samson's causing trouble. All of the stock, all of the grain, all of the, when they've done the harvest, they've all now stored it in their silos. And what Samson does is he goes and he basically sets the place on fire. It's a bit brilliant in a sick way. I'm sure the animal cruelty people have a problem with it. So the Philistines in verse 6 ask, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Notice their relationship to him is by his marriage. Because he has been, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So notice the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. She wound up dying from the threat anyways. Even though she wound up telling him this story, in the end of, or telling him the answer to the riddle, in the end of it all, she couldn't even save her own life from it. The only way to save her own life, by the way, would have been to surrender to Samson's leading. Surrender to the Lord's leading in that. Samson said to them, since you've done a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And then after that, I'll stop. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt at, in, in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Edom, by the way, means the lair of wild beasts, which probably is what he looked like. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. This is now what happened because all of a sudden these guys are all killed. Philistines deploy their army. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They don't understand what's going on. And they said, well, we've come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done to us. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom. 3,000 men. Think that through. They can arrest one guy. And they said, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I did to them. Did you notice here what is governing the Israelites? It's fear. It is the other motivator other than appetite here. And it's its own black hole. You can't see through it. You, don't, you, you simply just say, don't rock the boat. Don't provoke the bully. Look at fear doesn't plead justice. Fear just wants to survive. And here they're like, please stop angering the Philistines. Our life is rough enough. That was exactly, in essence, what Israel said to Moses when God went to deliver Israel out of Egypt. What are you doing? It's only making our life harder. But see, God doesn't want to just, God is not interested in killing Egyptians. God wants to free his people from the world they came from 
But then he wants to save those people too. What he wants to take down are their gods that they're worshiping to show them that they're foolish. And he wants to do the same with you. And it'll be harder if you actually want to be in their camp. So they've come down to arrest him. 3,000 Israelis have come and said, Sammy, we need to arrest you. His response, by the way, this whole what they did to me, I'm going to do, I did to them. Proverbs 24, 29, for what it's worth, says, Do not say, I will do to them as they've done to me. I will render to a man according to his work. So the Bible makes clear that's not what we're supposed to do. So, they've come down to arrest them. And the people now are so afraid that they can't even see the strength of their deliverer in front of them. Because all they see is this, the, the enormousness of the fear and the enemy that stands before them. And yet we know the verse, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We know that verse. And yet somehow we still freak out. So Samson says, by the way, as a result of it, he said, them all, we've come down to arrest you, deliver him. Samson says, well, swear to me you won't kill me yourself. So they spoke to him and said, no. Well, we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we surely won't kill you. <coughs> and they bound him with two new ropes and bound him up, bound him up to the rock. Brought him up to the, from the rock. And when he came from Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And again now, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. Might I say, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, the enemy is torn apart. The lion is torn apart, but also the bonds are broken. Now we found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Where do you think he found a fresh jawbone? Do you think someone sells fresh jawbones? Where do you find a fresh jawbone from a freshly killed donkey? Boy, this guy really has this thing with finding dead things and using them. Imagine, I mean, unless there's just a donkey there, he just rips the jawbone right out of a donkey that's, well, more than likely the donkey's dead. And Samson said, so he reached out and he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. Now, anyone see, does anyone know the size of a, a, jon- a donkey's jawbone? A donkey, a donkey, a donkey's jawbone. A donkey's jawbone is roughly this this big, so it's roughly about a half a meter at greatest length. It is roughly now about what does that make that? About fifty to eighty centimeters wide. So he grabs this thing almost like a bent boomerang. And how does he? How does he, How do you kill people with something like that? Do you hit them with the teeth? Do you wrap it around them and start? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I should probably ask my daughter. She's probably already thought this through. But but somewhere in all of this, this guy's. I mean, it's it's a, a fairly unlikely tool to kill a thousand people. That's the point. I mean, you could have these big long things where people can't get near you. But if a guy's like that big and he's doing this, how many people can, does it take to overpower even a really big guy? Except the spirit of the Lord's upon him. And he kills a thousand people with the do- with the donkey's jawbone. Did I say it right this time? And Samson said then. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Did he count? And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the the jawbone from his hand, and he called the place Jawbone Heights. That's what Ramat Lahi means, by the way. And then he came very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord, and he said, 
You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servants, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Now, let me make this clear. This is the first conversation we have recorded between Samson and God in his story so far. And he is complaining. You're aware of that, right? We are only going to find two conversations between Samson and God, and this is the first one, and he's yelling at God. Are you kidding me? You've given this great deliverance by your servant, and now I'm going to die from thirst? I just killed a thousand guys with a jawbone, and now I'm going to die of thirst? Do you hear anywhere in that any gratitude? Like, God, thank you for, I don't know, keeping me alive while I killed a thousand people with a jawbone? A fresh one? I don't hear any of that. What I hear is a guy that is so driven by appetite that he can't see clearly. He's so driven at this point by thirst, he thinks he's going to die. He's so driven by a thirst for vengeance, he kills a thousand people. He's so driven by anger that he kills a whole bunch of other people. He's so driven by pride, he poses a riddle. He's so driven by lust, he goes and finds a a hot girl from the Philistines. The guy is all about appetites. And there becomes our problem. Now listen, it tells us in Philippians 3.19 about those that have declared war on God, that their end is their destruction, whose God is their belly. Do you know what that means? The same thing. The God is their belly. They are driven by their appetites. But please hear me in this. God makes really clear it is the mortification that must happen before the manifestation. It is the spiritual walk before the spiritual gifts. The spiritual walk, that's chapter 6 through 8 of Romans. First we're a sinner, then we're saved, then we need to be set apart or sanctified. That's 6 through 8. But spiritual gifts, that's Romans chapter 12. God's like, I don't want to give you all of these tools without first having your heart right. Because otherwise, you'll just use those tools to kill each other. I would rather you have a right desire and line up with my will before I give you the power that's necessary. And we're like, we're all God, give me the power instead of God, give me your heart first. Because if our hearts were God's first, belonged to God first, well then, clearly, as he empowered us, great things would happen, and he would get the glory for it, and it would be for the benefit of others and the blessing of our Father. But it's like we want power But it's almost like we're living like Samson, driven by appetites. God, give me more power so I could be cooler instead of God. Make my heart yours first. Immerse me in you first. So what I crave is what you crave. And then, no, I can't accomplish what you crave except by your power. Well, with that in mind, then, God split the rock that was in Lehi. Water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. So he also called the place and Hachore. And then Hachore means the spring of the collar. It's, by the way, it's in Lahi to this day. It doesn't like that place moved. And he judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now we're almost there. Now for the downfall, even more so. Now we've met at this point one girl. I remind you, his wife given to another person. And he goes mental. Now Samson went to Gaza, one of the five chief cities, if you will, of the Philistines. And he saw a harlot there and went into her. Here's his second girl. Could you be more driven by appetite than this? No relationship. No love. No commitment. 
just raw appetite. You know, James 1.14 says that each one of you is driven when he is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. But listen, then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. But sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, what Samson has been doing is he has been investing in his, his temptations. He has been developing his lusts. He has been fostering his appetites. And as he's been nurturing them, they are maturing into full-blown death. And he doesn't even see it before him. It tells us one of my favorite verses in Proverbs is 28.13, where it says, He who seeks to cover his sins will not prosper. Let me say that again. He who seeks to cover his own sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses them and forsakes them will find mercy. See, God wants to issue mercy, but he doesn't want to bless our mess. He wants us to forsake, not just kind of look at it and go, oh, it wasn't that bad. Proverbs 6.26 says, and hear me, men, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Hey, if you guys are getting cold, just close that back door. We keep opening it, and that's where all the cold air comes from. So if one of you wants to do that, just thought I'd let you know that. We are actually our own worst enemies because we keep doing that, and then we wonder why we're cold. Thank you. Now, Samson not only found a prostitute, but he found a prostitute where he knew he could find a prostitute in the enemy camp. And please hear me in this. What seems really evident is Samson seems much more at home in the enemy camp than he does in, with God's people. Have you noticed that? Do you read anywhere in this that Samson is ever anywhere near God's people? Look at Regardless of whatever experiences you thought you had with whoever that called themselves that belonged to the Lord or didn't, regardless of whatever experiences you had with someone that called themselves pastor, priest, so forth, bishop, pope, whatever, If we're going to be God's people, we still have to be more at home with each other than we should ever be in the world. The enemy camp has declared war on our God. How can we be at home where they hate the one we claim to make, to, we claim is most important to us? We can't make a home there and not make a home here. Well, that's unfortunately Samson's story. So Samson's with the prostitute. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning when daylight has come, we'll kill him. Samson lay low till midnight and he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? You know what the craziest part about this is? You know what's missing from those verses? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Did you notice that? Is that weird? By the way, when he caught those foxes tail to tail and set them on fire, we don't read the Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he did that either. In two different cases, the Spirit of the Lord 
we don't read comes upon him and he does ridiculous things. Now, maybe he did come upon him here. We just don't have record of it. But what we're finding is a lot less of what's happening in Samson's life is involving the spirit of God now, isn't it? So he goes and does this so he can get out. And that was the end of that story. But now we get to our last of the three girls. And this girl's, boy, this, you should have seen it coming with this one. After what had happened, and listen, 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 he loved the woman. After the girl he married that we don't ever read he loved, after the harlot that we clearly see he used, he loved the girl. But he loved the wrong one. And when you spend your life in compromise, in the places you shouldn't be, me too, by the way, when we do, when we live our life to somehow try to blend in with the enemy, but don't find a home among God's own people. When we find ourselves in a place where all we really want to do is our own thing and we want to be a maverick, we're going to fall for the wrong person. And that's clearly what happens here. Remember the first girl, when she betrayed Samson, it was to save her life. Pardon me, but at least it's a little bit more noble than what we're going to find here. It's interesting is he loved a woman and it was in the valley of Sorek. Sorek, by the way, means the choicest vines. You know where he met her? In the nicest vineyards. Don't you find interesting how many times he's around vineyards? And her name, by the way, for what it's worth, is, and you're familiar with it perhaps, Delilah. Delilah, by the way, means makes feeble, oppresses. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were single and I was 19 and at the heat of my like hormonal whatever, and I met a girl and her name was, I like to oppress you and I'll make you feeble, I'm kind of gone. I don't care what she looked like. At that point, I'm done. But he loved her. And by the way, it does say he loved her. He was at a place at this point where he was bought into this girl, but he can't even see how nasty of a girl she is. When you're led by appetite, this is what the kind of relationship you find yourself in if you're not careful. Listen, every relationship we get in will find will come from one of two places. One, be a place of need. And the other, a place of overflow. When we enter into a relationship in a state of need, we will always want to suck off of that person what we think we need. And that's a really bad relationship. In the simplest sense, you suck. It's like, hi, I'm expecting you to meet my needs. By the way, that God only God can fill. If you enter into a state of overflow, I'm not entering in to use you. I'm entering in to bless you. And that's a very different state. Could you imagine two people meeting in a state of overflow? How amazing that relationship could be. When you're in a state of overflow, you're not led by your appetites like this. This guy, on the other hand, he's so led by his appetites. He can't even see the little dandy oppressor that he's about to get himself hooked up with. Verse 5 <clears throat> The lords of the Philistines came up to her and they said to her, Entice him to find out where his great strength lie, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now notice, remember the first girl, she did it to save her life, and her, and her, her parents' life. Here, this girl is just doing it for money. Now, if we assume it's the five leaders, if you will, of the Philistines, of the five major cities, the amount that they're offering to give then at 1100 would be 5,500 shekels. That's roughly 2,200 ounces. At today, I discovered that silver was roughly 15 pound 24 uh, per ounce. 
And what that means is they were roughly offering about 33 and a half grand. That's a lot of money, 33,500 uh, pounds. 30, actually, 33,530 pounds, 20 to be exact. I mean, that's a lot of money, but it's not enough money for a human life. But that's enough for her. She would rather take that over this guy. And again, for, by means of a harlot, a man's reduced to a crust of bread. So Delilah says to Samson, and by the way, notice how much he disguises it. Now, guys, how stupid do you have to be for a girl to say this to you and you don't get a uh-oh from it? Please tell me where your great strength lies, and that's not enough. And with what you may be bound to afflict you? Is there any part of you guys that doesn't go, hmm, this is a little weird. Especially since he has a history of this with girl number one. Remember girl number one, she's like, hey, so tell me the answer to the riddle. And he does, and then everyone, she clearly tells everyone. That's what you learn about a Philistine girl. <laughs> and now look at what you get. Tell me what your secret of your strength is so we could bind you and, and how, how could we beat the heck out of you? Now, at this point, do you think Samson just feels invincible? Remember, he's, I, I mean, imagine by this point, two of the three strikes he's already done. He's already played with the vineyard thing. He's already done something with grapes. I'm convinced by this point. And, of course, at this point, he's been all over dead things. Do you think at this point he's kind of like, oh, clearly nothing's going to happen. Look at how much I've gotten away with this far. So Samson starts playing with her. And he's going to give her four different answers. Four different answers. Samson says, well, here's the first one. If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I'll become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings. Guys, are you getting any of this yet? Not yet dried, and she bound them and with them, and then men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke through, the, he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not yet known. Okay, now at this point, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how dumb you have to be, but at this point, I don't know, I, I mean, I, I would come up with the weirdest thing. You fill the room with 130 chickens. And then I see a room full of 130 chickens. We're done. That's the end of the relationship. Tell me how we may beat you up, Samson. 130 chickens. A room full of 100. Hmm. That's suspicious. I mean, this guy is like the opposite of Sherlock. So she gets a little bit more simple about the situation. Delilah says to Samson, look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me. With what you may be bound with. How do I bind you? That's all she's asking now. So he goes with the second one. If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak. By the way, did you notice in both of these it's if they? Who is the they? The people, by the way, that are going to do it? Then I'll become weak and I'll be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off like a thread. <coughs> Excuse me. Delilah said to Samson, now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. So he's, he, at this point, I think, is he having fun? Is he just seeing how long he can take it? But notice he's getting a little closer to his own head. If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of a loom, now, how hard do you think that is? Do you know what a loom is? That's what they make rugs with and that kind of thing. It's kind of all those strings. You kind of have to run it back and forth. And imagine 
is Samson sleeping when all of this is happening? Is he watching TV and he's kind of, is he sort of on his iPad and he's so consumed that he doesn't even recognize someone's playing with his head? I mean, how far do you go with this thing? I mean, it, it, we don't read up to this point that he's sleeping when any of these things happen. So is it like, ha, 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 go ahead and tie me up. Okay, that's kind of funny. You know, I mean, where in this is this kind of, this is just really, this is so weird to me. Tell me what you may be bound with. Well, let's try that. But he's getting closer now. So she wove it tightly into the batten of the loom. Notice she's doing it all. She said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten of the web from the loom. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Notice those words again. If you really loved me, you would have done something better than this. You've mocked me these three times. They have not told me where your great strength lies. And then I love these words. It came to pass that she pestered him daily. The word, by the way, is the word tzuk, and it means to oppress, to distress. Girls, you're probably aware of the fact that you can do this. With her words, and she pressed them. The word there, alats, means to urge. Come on, please, come on, come on, please, come on, please. Finally, his soul was vexed to death. Katsar means he hated life. She made it so bad, it would have been better to die. But by this point, the guy is so dumb, he can't even realize getting out. We don't read they're married, I remind you. He doesn't even care. The only thing, that the only appetite he possesses at this moment is get this done. Get this over with. So he told her all in his heart. Told her all his heart and he said, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. Now please don't miss this. The four answers he gives, listen, if they bind me, if they bind me, if you weave, and then finally, if I am shaven. See, in the end of it all, it was not about what they could do. It doesn't matter what the enemy can do. It doesn't matter what the world can do. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Same for you. It doesn't matter what that person can do. Not just they, but that person. You want to find yourself fall hard? It's what you choose. Now look, at maybe horrible things have happened. Maybe you've got some rough relationship you're kind of working through. Maybe horrible things have happened in your past. And again, I don't want to belittle them. But you make your choices now. And if you know you're pre-prescribed or you have an affinity for making bad choices, well then, make your choices slowly and know that you need help with that. But there comes a point where we've got to stop blaming everyone else. If they wouldn't have done that. No, no, no. They did. You can't change that now. But you make your choices now, friend. But if they hadn't all gathered together and if the world wasn't this way and if all that, yeah, yeah, we could play that out if we want to. But truth be told, beloved, truth be told, in the end of it all, it's if I make the choice. It's not just if they or if you. It's, it's if I do that. And that's where it wound up here. So let's close this up. So, Delilah saw, by the way, 
But he had told her all that was in his heart. And she sent and she called for the lords of the Philistines. He says, come up once more. He's told me all in his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees. He called for a man to have him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began, notice, to torment him. Torment him. This girl, the word, by the way, there, again, the word means to afflict, to try to make humble the idea of browbeating. She was mocking him. You stupid man. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as before, as other times, and shake myself free. But notice the saddest verse in all of this. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. After all those times God had come upon him, he just kind of figured, well, this is always what's going to happen. But he has been playing around with this. But by this point, he's gotten strike three. He has done all the things he was told not to. And this is the iconic verse. Verse 21. The Philistines then took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. See, what Samson didn't know is that his whole life he was walking around blind and bound. He just couldn't see it. But now everyone could. And when you're driven by your appetite, you run around blind and bound and blind and bound. And sooner or later, it's going to become evident to everyone if you don't let God handle it. However, that's not the end of the story. If that were the end of the story, we'd say, okay, learn from that. Let's never do that. But there is another side to that, and that's God's mercy. However, the hair of his head began to grow again as it had been shaven. Here's the good news. Because I don't know about dead things, but he's not going to certainly be drinking any wine in prison. Now, the lords of the Philistines gather together. And by the way, it's important to note, they're always going to give this. This is about someone's God against ours, and ours is the real one. Notice how many times we see that mentioned here. Now, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into the hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they prized their God. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied the dead. So it happened. <clears throat> When their hearts were merry, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. Literally, the word there, means to be laughed at or scorned. So bring him out so we can make fun of him. And, and there's a part of you, don't you almost feel sorry for the dumb guy by this point? The gal that he loved mocked him. And now here he is with a crew cut, looking like a skinhead. And everybody's just pointing and laughing. Man, I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for him. And they stationed it between the pillars. Samson was between two places that were very, very... Now, if you know anything about the way that a Philistine temple is, is held, and by the way, they're bringing him into the temple, the great place for it, is that there's a very narrow area and everybody sits up at the top corridor to look down at this little courtyard with pillars in between like this, only they're much closer. They're at about the edges of these. And it says there were about 3,000 men and women from the roof watching while Samson performed. By the way, notice it says the temple was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And here's the second of Samson's conversations with God. The first, remember how he complained? Samson called to the Lord now. But now he calls him Lord. Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. 
just this once. Oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my eyes. Strengthen me. Remember me and strengthen me. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them. One with his right hand, one with his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than that he killed in his life. And his brothers and all of his father's household came down and took him, brought him up. By the way, remember how he went down to and he went down to? So now they had to bring him up to where he belonged and buried him between the places that mean diseased and that means desiring. In the tomb of his father, Manoah, he judged Israel for, 12, for 20 years. It's the perfect epitaph. You know, it's interesting, even in this very sad story from which we should learn a great deal, from the Israelites not to be governed by fear and from Samson not to be governed by desire. Unless our desire is to love God more. But what's really, really sad in it all is that the guy will always remember this was the guy in between a place of desire and disease instead of a place between great joy and great holiness with God. He had such great strength and he used it only for his own destruction. But here's the strange precursor in it all. This man, his greatest victory was in his death. Even for all the things he had done against the enemy in his life, it was his death that brought the greatest victory. And that was a hint of what's yet to come. Because my Savior came to earth, and though he healed, and hear me in this, beloved, as we share Jesus with others, and though he taught, though he raised the dead and cleansed the lepers, his greatest victory was in his death. And because it's interesting, I remind you, Samson's name means like the sun. But when the sun really did come, he came and his greatest victory was in his death. Because what he did there was and he didn't just take down part of the enemy. He destroyed the enemy completely. And that's what we call out to here tonight as we go to prayer now. That our God has walked us tonight through the life of Samson to learn not to be governed. Maybe right now you're in places you know you don't belong. Maybe right now you've been following appetites you know are going to take you down. Here's the problem. When you go down to go find an appetite, all you can hope to do is try to pull up. But you're probably aware of the fact gravity's not on your side. And tonight, the Lord would really love to pull you up and put you in a high place, a broad place, and let you see His glory and peace. And not have you spend your whole life driven by appetites that kill you. Jesus already paid the price on the cross. And they clearly, that was his greatest victory. And then rose again to show that it was it. Samson's story ends there. Jesus' story begins. And so does ours. And tonight, God does want to empower you. But first, he wants to kill you. He wants to kill the person you were. No, nothing like, we're not going to be handing out Kool-Aid here. But he wants for us to be willing to die to who we were before. So that what he would rise up instead of people that hunger for the things he hungers for. So that when he pours forth his power upon us, it will be for the benefit of others, the blessing of our Father. And that's the way he wants it. Will you pray with me? 
Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of this story that we're learning here. For the life of Samson and what you've done in this time. And now, Lord, I just pray as we go uh, from here, Lord, move in our hearts. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, myself included, if there's anyone who has been toying with what we don't, we shouldn't be toying with. And I pray, Lord, if we could just see ourselves in this story. For those that are driven by appetite, God, give us a loathing for the things of this world that we know can't satisfy. Please, Lord, move ridiculously in our hearts in such a way that we desire to be like you and not, Lord, just desire to not get caught. And Lord, if we've lived the kind of life where we feel kind of invincible because we feel like we've gotten away with so much, I pray, Lord, that we would take the warning you give us here today so that we wouldn't be like Samson. But Lord, rather, that we would be looking for love in the place where love is infinite, and that's with you. And we wouldn't head down for any reason other than to rescue, not to find love. But I also pray for those that are governed by fear right now. Lord, that you would deliver us from that, that we would not be afraid to let you show that you are God of all gods, that you are Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to show your greatest victory and your resurrection to show us our new life. And I pray tonight, God, that you make us people now that crave you and that of you, that we want our hearts to be like yours. Make it so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, saints, for the privilege of being able to be in the Word with you tonight. We went through the whole story of Samson. Is that crazy? Um, next week, you're going to be very blessed with Daniel. We will be in Sardinia. I would love your prayers for, uh, for the weather there. It's not exactly what we've been looking for yet, but God's God. Um, I do want to say on the other side of that, that... Um, the girls you're probably aware of went yesterday and took their tests, the Life in the UK tests, and they both passed. And that is a miracle. I mean, Tay was like, there were only like four questions I didn't get. I was like, man, I literally, it was such a great time for Rue and I. Rue and I were actually alone, and I'm like, Rue, I'm going to take this whole time while they're in there. I'm just going to pray the whole time that they're there. And at first, she just kind of sat next to me with her phone, and then finally she kind of got bored and went in the other room. But the moment that I, you know, they were there, she was like, yeah, can we finish watching our movie? <laughs> you know, it was, but it was really sweet for Rue to be able to experience that too, which was really, really cool. So thank you all who have been praying. Uh, our next step, beloved, is on when we come back from Sardinia in a week, we're going to apply for indefinite leave. Let's get through that. And then, isn't it crazy? Then basically we wait a year, apply for our passports, do our ceremony where we wait, raise our hand and do all that. And then you guys are like stuck with us for the rest of our lives. You know, so thank you for your celebration on that. Um, now, go be a blessing to each other, please. God bless you. Oh, and please, if tonight, if you would, keep my wife in your prayers. She's kind of got a really bad, uh, a bad headache that's lasted a couple of days. It may be a sinus infection, so just keep her in your prayers.